Welcome to this episode of the Musician's Journey podcast. Today I caught up with Aron Dahl, who has been exploring his relationship to music making, first in Norway, then in Denmark, and now in the US. There is quite a lot of background sounds from airplanes on Aron's side of the microphone, which I found suitable for this conversation with a fan of John Cage. At some point, Aron mentions Inga's parents, and that is a reference to the parents of Inga Os, who is featured in episode 5. The world of Norway is quite small, and the world of music in Norway even smaller. And the music in this episode is composed by Aron, and you'll find the titles in the show notes. Um, yeah, my name is Aaron Dahl. I'm a composer and filmmaker and a sound like synthesizer nerd, I guess. And play saxophone and sing sometimes. I'm from Norway, but currently in LA. That's that's it. That's is that how's that? <laughs> That's great, that's great. And you, at some point, you moved to Copenhagen? Yeah, I've been based in Copenhagen, I guess, for a while. Uh, or I went, to sc- I went to study there, so I guess I've been living in Copenhagen for lo- or in Denmark for longer than I've been living in Norway as an adult. So I think I've lived there for almost 10 years, actually. Or on and off, yeah. Yeah. So to give some context, this podcast started out as a way of sharing my venturing into a life as a professional musician rather than the undercover musician I was after my studies and in the process of asking others about their challenges and daily routines and so on I've gotten a lot of inspiring input and and, uh, encouragement but one of the really fascinating aspects is to be presented with all of these different stories that shows that there are as many ways of being a musician as there are human beings and I'm very grateful that you wanted to participate since I know you have an exciting story and I only know tiny tiny bits of it so I can go back to a spring day in Oslo I'm guessing roughly 13 years ago where uh, we met on the street, coincidentally or not, I can't remember. And you said, oh, these days you weren't practicing. And that sounded so radical to me, I remember. Uh, can you remember this particular period as a saxophone student? Um, I can't remember that conversation specifically, but I can remember. Uh, yeah, I mean, I can remember not practicing and I can remember... I probably didn't feel so like great about that. I probably felt it probably was less casual than I probably conveyed to you. <laughs> but I mean, I just wrote this, the last piece I wrote was the saxophone concerto. And I have been hanging out a lot with the classical saxophonist here that I just meant coincidentally. I haven't really thought about the saxophone for years because I haven't played or practiced or performed uh, and then that whole kind of classical music mindset kind of came back to me. Now, or I remember there was like a lot of things that kind of just had 
repressed a little bit, I think. Yeah. Um, I came back. I guess I remember that time as being like difficult because it was like, I feel like the way we learn to an instrument in the classical world is very like, this is the way to do it. And you have like a teacher who is like the master and you're, you're like the student and you're supposed to like suck everything out of them. Like, you know, it's just very... <laughs> It's very kind of feels like there's this highway that everyone's like driving on. But but then there is, as you said before, a lot of ways to do it. And I mean, for a long, for for many years, I was like trained as a, saxof- as a classical saxophonist. And then I was doing like free impro and free jazz, which is like kind of the antithesis of, of that. Because it's, or for me, that was like, I didn't practice. I just played concerts basically. And I felt like that actually was really helpful for me for a while, um, which was kind of the opposite of what everyone had said, kind of. (laughs) It takes some courage to go against this pressure to practice every day. Right. It's weird, like, when when you're, like, playing other people's music all day and then you're, like, really virtuoso and you know your instrument, like, it's an extension of your body, but then you're not free, like, you can't just, you can do anything within this like set of parameters but it's not like you're free to play anything on your instrument kind of and then it can feel really difficult to be free because you have this really high perfectionistic idea about what it means to be an instrumentalist on your instrument so to me it felt very kind of um it took me years to get like out of that mindset uh and my strategy was to not practice, but I'm not, there's probably other ways to do that. And uh, now I'm trying to get back into practicing and having like a daily, just having like a daily practice, like not as a composer, but as a instrumentalist, even though I'm not really sure what my main instrument is anymore. And now that's like, that's actually kind of difficult for me now. So now I'm on the opposite end of the spectrum. Um, I've been, th- <laughs> I've been thinking about that time in like, like 13 years ago ish for lately like that 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 was a weird or that there is a lot of things that I was trying to figure out that took me probably until now to figure out but I didn't know what they were kind of I think also yeah when I dropped out of the conservatory I wanted to be a composer because that was like the only other like in my mind at that point there was like two options you could be like a performer that was doing just that or you could be a composer and that was like they were like mutually exclusive and that was like two options and there's actually yeah there's so many other options kind of in between things yeah I also remember in that same conversation you said that uh, you weren't having breakfast these days you were only having dinners (laughs) and that sounds uh, insane but also probably (laughs) like I had some sort of idea about a routine to maximize my time or something because that was what I was doing (laughs) I have Breakfast. I just had breakfast. I have at least three meals a day these days. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I think maybe I re- I remember reading about a bodybuilder in high school that was like, or he was I was in high school. He was not in high school. I just had one giant meal every day, and I think I, that was probably I was probably trying out how that would work for me. Oh, right. Um, <laughs> <laughs> ah. Well, if it was some years later, it, it could maybe have been uh, defined as intermittent fasting and uh, been a bit more trendy. That's true. Yeah. 
uh, unrelated, but I just, I have almost poisoned myself with potassium by eating a lot of bananas and almonds lately. Uh-huh. <laughs> and I thought I was being healthy. Um, and then it's just been, been eating like so much potassium based food. That's now it's like, it's like way too much. And I have to like cut down on my potassium intake. So there's <laughs> some centric food stuff going on maybe still. I have a feeling that stability is not your cup of tea. Actually, I'm really trying. It's just really hard for me. I'm trying very hard to have a stable life and routine, but I've moved country like five times in years and I, I've i gotten a lot better at it, at it the last year. Like I have, I sort of have a routine now, especially around like, yeah moving my body working out and meditation and stuff that also helps me having other routines but my composition teacher says that that's like I mean I guess that's for him too though but that's yeah Michael Pizarro he says that stability is like the one factor that's like really important for having a consistent creative output so I'm trying to Uh, and he's, I mean, he's right. I think there's like a long period of time where I'm not working at all. And it's because it, like things have been like too disruptive, I guess. So I do, after many years of fighting it, I'm, uh, I, I do think stability is like a good thing, actually. Yeah, it feels a little contradictory or ironic how uh, how liberating stability can feel. Because if I feel structured and organized and uh having some thoughts of what I want to do the next day. Like that kind of feels like it goes against creativity. It feels like creativity is to just be open to everything and to not limit oneself in any way. But when I have certain frames around my days, that's when I can just really relax and then the creativity can come. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I guess it's also, I mean, I really also like to have this kind of I don't know, it's kind of play time or like time where I'm not need where I don't have to produce anything and where I can just like, I can be creative and work on stuff, but I can also just like look at the leaf or whatever. Like, you know, it's like a type of existing that I used to do a lot when I was a child and I was alone a lot because I was an only child. But then it works for me to like slot that in like on Thursday from like these four hours I'm gonna have that time kind of and then I can look at like it's then it but it's really important that that time is really unstructured and I don't look at time and it's like just flowing but if I don't set aside time to do that I end up like not doing it so even even that kind of it's nice to have some structure around that the unstructuredness too I think yeah yeah Uh, so now you are doing uh, two degrees at the same time? Yes. I'm doing a um, degree in, or I came here to do a composition master in, it's called Experimental Sound Practices, which is like the vaguest <laughs> name for a degree ever, which is probably why I chose it, because there were so few requirements. <laughs> I didn't even know if I wanted to like compose or perform, so... You know, you didn't have to have a recite. It, it was very like few requirements. I mean, there's requirements, but they you can decide what the degree is about, basically, which I wanted. And then I kind of stumbled into also doing a film degree in, at the film school in 
being a filmmaker, partly because I wanted to be here for another year and it was a way to get a visa for another year. And then actually it was kind of the opposite. So I wanted to do something. I've been studying music for so many years and I wanted to study something that I didn't know like where I was, where I actually had to go to school to learn things that are like concrete, crafty things. And then actually the fact that it was a lot more structured in film school <laughs> uh, was one of the reasons, uh, which was really hard for me the first semester. I mean, it's still hard. It's, I feel like I complain a lot about it, but then it's still really good for me and it makes me more effective on other things, right? But I still kind of really hate it while it's happening. But like now I don't have classes and then it's not like I get all the things I'm like imagining that I'll do when I'm the semester is over and it's not like I necessarily do them now if someone puts like some structure in my week then it's a lot easier for me to fill in the rest kind of but yeah I mean it's hard to freelance just also and it's still like like my friend's parents uh Inga's parents oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, they have just gotten retired and they were talking about all this like when Guru was talking about how it was like weird and and hard to like structure the day in the same way that like I think it's hard to freelance so I think it's like a constant it is hard um so I'm trying to also just be nice to myself about that because you are freelancing at the same time as you are studying yeah well I'm not going to be freelancing so much in the fall because I won't have time because I'll take those two degrees and it's my last semester but I am I guess right now and I was I took a leave for yeah last fall because of covid and visa things and some personal things uh, where i started writing that saxophone concerto and then i finished it uh during the school semester and now i'm yeah i'm working on some other like smaller chamber music pieces now so i do i mean when i look at my when i look back it's not i am working kind of a lot but i feel the unstructuredness makes it feel like i'm never that i'm not doing anything actually So that's another weird thing, but just if there's structure in the day, I feel effective, even though the structure could be like, even if it's, I'm not actually doing anything. So there's this, the brain has this weird, um, does this, yeah, there's some tricks also happening with just how the brain works, I think, and that we like, it's a lot easier if you know you're doing the same thing at a specific time of day, you kind of train yourself to be good at doing that and good at being focused at that at that time of day. Are you uh, particularly focused any specific time of day? Um, yeah, I mean, I guess I have to like admit that it's like the morning. But I'm very focused up until a deadline at like any time of the day. <laughs> That's like then I usually just like I can get up like then I get up and then I just work the whole day basically and I maybe have and I have like one and have some food and workout movement breaks but like now when I'm not working towards the deadline I try to do like the hard thing the hardest thing that I don't want to do like first and then if I'm able to do that then everything kind of else works itself out yeah um yeah But honestly, I've just had like a month of like being extremely unstructured and unfocused and done so. I feel like yeah. it feels like I'm uh, a bit dishonest now because it sounds like I'm super structured, but I'm not. 
I'm working towards this, I guess. Yeah. particular shift in your way of relating to music making uh oh yeah there's been a lot there's been many do you want do you want all do you want all of them or i guess um we do you want to go back to the 13 years ago so i mean i guess um what's the earliest you can remember Well, I mean, I guess at some point I just decided that I wanted to like be a professional musician, but I don't even know. I can't remember how my how who I was at that point. Like it's such a that's a, that was like you know I was very young. So, but um, I feel like I started playing saxophone kind of late, like when I was fourteen or something, and then it became like really serious really quickly, probably because I. I needed structure in my life and I needed to like focus on something. Um, and then I, I practiced a lot and then, but also I had this like free impro thing also from the beginning really, because I went, I started going to shows in Oslo with a fake ID when I was like <laughs> 16. Yeah. Uh, and I went to this no- noise show at this place called Sound of Mu that was like Nedish, uh, in my train. And that was like, I mean, life changing probably because then right after that I started like had I had had like a free pro trio with my friends and I started like playing like more experimental music and started going to like a lot of experimental music shows in Oslo. So they were, I was like doing that kind of on my own and then I had like a teacher and did like classical music with them kind of. And then, well, when I find, when I got into the conservatory finally. Then I realized I didn't have a plan with class. Like I didn't have that was like my goal. There was no, there was no like I don't I didn't have anything after that basically. After the admission. After like I just really wanted to get in, right? Yeah. And then, <laughs> then in, and I was like, now what? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Do I even want to be like a classical saxophonist? And then I kind of realized that okay, there's like five jobs for all of us, kind of that are not like teaching jobs. And I'm not going to get any of those jobs because there's all these other saxophone players that are way better than me in my class, kind of. So, and that was fine actually because I already felt, well, I guess it was well, it's still complicated. Like, I feel like there was this weird conservatism among like very young people at the conservatory. I mean, I studied I studied in Aarhus in Denmark, by the way. If that's nothing, yeah. But it was like weird to have these like nineteen year olds being like listening to Miss Young for the first time and being like angry because that was like crazy atonal music and it's still like 
music that's 100 years old. It's not very, like, you know, it was like this weird, because I've been already going to all these noise shows for like five years at this point. So yeah. I was like, who are, what the fuck is, who are these people? <laughs> yeah. And how can they have like this very kind of aged view about music? So I felt probably like an outsider there, but then the saxophone is this outsider instrument. So in a way that's also, that was also fine because every, we were all kind of in the classical music world where we were all kind of outsiders. Um, and it was a really nice classical music saxophone scene in Aarhus. Um, I had a great teacher. But yeah, then I just started doing more and more improvised music and then less and less classical music. And then I started listening to very quiet music, some like uh, onkyo which, and like sight music, which is like this very, very quiet type of improv where like... There can be like 30 seconds between each sound. I was really into that in a very kind of dogmatic way. It was all I did. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And then that just became more and more like more and more quiet. And in the end, there was like no room for me left in the music anymore. I felt like. And then I started playing like really loud free jazz as like the other end of the spectrum. Yeah. Um, and. I don't know, I guess there's been a, there's really been a lot of shifts in my, like, I feel like, yeah, something has shifted in my thinking about music and then the music has shifted a lot. And then it shifted again to like, um, yeah, now I just make like tonal kind of happy music in C major has been like, (laughs) (laughs) Uh, because I'm trying to like, maybe not have all these like concepts and like, ideas about what sound is and what music is and just actually I'm now I'm just like making music that I like to listen to which is a completely new radical shift for me <laughs> but I think the slow like the the other shift that's been kind of happening underneath all of that that I haven't actually kind of realized until now when I kind of looked back at like where I was when I was still at the conservatory it was like now I feel like for a lot of years I felt like I could like play tonal music that was like made by other people or I could like play weird experimental music and like but everything in between was like that I wasn't actually um, a musical person or that I wasn't actually good at like um, that I was good at kind of sound like sonic things and like and then playing compositions by other people and then I've been doing a lot of things in between. And now I feel like I'm just, it's all one thing and I'm just like making music. And I don't i don't think I think so much about where I learned the different things anymore or if I am good at it or not, because I don't really care actually anymore. But that like, so that, that like last strain of like this virtuoso perfectionism thing I think has going away actually which is very nice <laughs> yeah. yeah and somewhere during this whole journey you made an album that came out three years ago yeah called loosening orion's belt yeah yeah that was in denmark was it? uh yeah or i like wrote it i was like living between norway and denmark so i wrote it i guess mostly in norway and recorded it in copenhagen 
And you released it on your own label. You started your own label, Abstract Tits, together mm -hmm. with Anders Vestergaard. Yeah. Uh, so out of sheer curiosity, how does one make a record label and why should one do it? <laughs> well, one kind of has to do it if no one else wants to release your music. <laughs> <laughs> Was that the case? Well, I mean, me and Anders had played like weird silent three improv together since we were we met at the conservatory in Aarhus uh like in I guess 2009 or something so we had already been releasing like we had yeah music of our own and our like small projects and no one wants no of course no one wanted to release that it's all weird and we were like 21 yeah. <laughs> so, uh, so yeah we started we started that in I'm not sure yeah, yeah it must have been like 2012 or something uh, and then it's actually really easy to start a label you can just say that you have a label and, and find a name and like get your friend to make a logo and then that's it you, there's not that much to it and then people think that it's like it sounds more complicated than it actually is um, so But but then I think and then for my album I kind of wanted someone else to release it because I don't because our label is just me and one other person and we don't have any kind of label powers but I did send it to a bunch of labels no one really wanted to release it and and then during that process I kind of realized that it's I did like doing that on my own and I could get uh, the same things. As the, and it's all about finding out what the label actually does and then figuring out how you can do those things and how you can maybe hire someone to do the things you can't do yourself. Yeah. But um, like PR things and distribution and stuff. But all of those things are like when you break it down, manageable. And uh, on Abstract Tits, you sell cassettes. Does that mm -hmm. mean there is a market for cassettes? Um, yeah, I mean, the reason, well, yeah, I mean, it's small, it's not giant, but it is like, it's a, I think people, well, the CD is kind of dead because no one, it's, yeah, because there is no point in CDs now that like digital music and streaming exists, I think, but people still would like to have like a physical, I mean, there is still a, a market for like having a physical that you buy a physical thing when you buy a piece of music and not just listening to it online. Um, and then that's why also vinyl is back, but vinyl is expensive to make. Uh, cassettes are really cheap to make and it's like a nice and you cheap to buy and it's an easy thing to like bring on tour and like sell at shows and stuff. Yeah. So it's not a huge market for cassettes, but in the underground scene where anything I mean everything is tiny there's not a huge market for that type of music anyway so it's like it works out <laughs> <laughs> are you or do you feel you have to make compromises between what you want to do and what you can make money from honestly I have been no I feel like I've not I haven't really or the only thing is like I might my kind of part of my like day job is being a 
like a chamber music composer, I guess, which I have been having issues with of my because I just have a I have issues with like the whole classical music world and how the whole kind of composer performer relationship I think needs to change. Um, but then that's not always that's not like when I get commission to write a piece, I can't. It's not always possible for me to change that in in one piece, kind of. Uh, also, because of time, there is often like a lot, not a lot of time to write to work with the performers, and then that kind of there's like practical things about communicating with them in a way that's easy and quick, which is a score, uh, because that's all there's time for, basically. So in that sense, yes, but not like I've been really, I guess, lucky and. Also, like I'm usually my own project manager, and I'm I can apply for grants from the. There's I'm lucky to be in a country where there is funding for the arts and stuff. So I feel like I had I haven't really had to compromise a lot on anything, which is which I'm very grateful for. But also, I'm a horrible like side man, or like I I'm not a good. <laughs> I think I'm now also so used to being kind of in charge that I'm not good at not being in charge probably yeah yeah (laughs) is there something in particular that you would like to achieve as a musician yeah there's a lot um but I mean I'm not sure if it's all kind of it's not I don't necessarily have like an elevator pitch I guess but well the thing I wrote like this uh, kind of artist manifesto when I was like 20 and I read it the other day and it's kind of still the same thing actually which is kind of wild because I feel like I've changed so much and I've changed like genre and we're working so much but I mean I'm still into the same like in that so in or in that manifesto there is like there's a quote by Blaise Pascal which is all of man's problems comes from his inability to sit in a room alone. Um, uh-huh. Which is like... <laughs> Quite pedistic. Uh, yeah, but I mean, I still really... That was why I started playing that super quiet music. And 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 it was very... It was like proven in that music too, because like people... Like I was into punk when I was younger, but playing like very, very quiet in like, chamber music hall at school was like the most radical and punky thing you can imagine doing really and people like left in anger and stuff in this very kind of context where people are normally very polite right um and started like talking and like yelling at us and and laughing at us and stuff so so then that that was like wow this is true that that quote is like that's real uh this is hard for people and then and it's hard for me too but I mean now I'm well and I, I guess I'm working with not silence as much, but like time as this. I mean, I wrote, I made this like hundred-hour piece right before COVID. That was kind of about how, how like our our perception of time is very very limited and and very small and like all these glacial things happening on glacial time scales that are just like impossible for our brains to kind of really process. And so there is like a big existential element to my music that I can't say like 
the goal is to like get people there's not like a specific message or anything but I'm like interested in dealing with some questions about time and like what it means to be human and silence and death and stuff but I mean that that does not answer your question very well I guess I'm uh, the goal is to explore what it means to be human through sound I guess yeah I saw uh, on Instagram um, that you uh, you wrote a quartet to be played from speakers in a field was that your latest composition uh, yeah that was like just a um, it was like a sound installation for a festival in Copenhagen that I was supposed to play at but then couldn't go there so then I made this installation instead that was yeah it's just four voices and then they are they start four seconds apart so it slowly kind of drifts it's like a ten, it's a, it can be anything from there's like four 20 minute loops so it can be anything from like 24 minutes to 10 hours long um Yeah, it's a drone piece that changes a little bit all the time. Yeah. Is there a type of a philosophy or a certain person's influence on you that you can fall back on when you feel you are losing focus? Yeah, I definitely, I, I guess John Cage is like the main, I keep, I just got this book called Conversations with Cage, which is, basically just things have said in interviews that like set that's like put together in a book in book form um and that's been yeah I feel like every time I open that if I'm feeling kind of uninspired or what am I doing with my life then there's something really profound there like some there's like taking the work like really seriously but also there's like a lightness and not taking things seriously that I really like and then I guess Morten Feldman when you said when you asked before if there was like a shift there was also a huge shift when I listened to his dream quartet number two it's like one movement in six hours or the recording I have in six hours that was also kind of a life-changing thing to listen to uh, so yeah I just thinking about that piece also kind of makes me <laughs> really inspired as a concept it's a beautiful piece but it's also I like that it's so radical but the actual music is really beautiful and like charming and intriguing and then it's it's a really radical piece just because it's long kind of which is kind of a banal parameter but it's yeah I think that's a genius really genius piece that I get kind of yeah makes me happy to think about it yeah but those are more like composition if you're Asking more on a performer, I mean, they're kind of this becoming more and more the same for me, though, because I record like synth stuff so much. But I guess also just listening to really good, like Roscoe Mitch, like really good improvisers, like, I mean, specifically on saxophone, maybe like Roscoe Mitchell, that are just like, you just like, they can just play at like any, they just play like a C and it's just really profound and they're like so grounded in like everything just through their like like what they're able to like 
project through the instrument is like so kind of rich and feels like it's connected to so many like to everything really at this yeah mm. I think both um both Cage and Feldman are composers that my brain has decided I like everything they do although I never really listened much but it just happens with certain people right uh, there's this uh, conviction in my body that oh yeah whatever these people have to offer I will uh, pay attention to it right I think it's also something about how like music school in Europe is still is kind of Eurocentric and is not focusing on them as like or they're focusing on Cage as like a philosopher but you but not actually listening to his music seriously no. um and here they're like the big American composers. Like it's a, that's one of the reasons why I wanted to study here, is because I feel more connected to that canon of composers than like Stockhausen or <laughs> like anything <laughs> less. Or yeah, I feel like it's kind of too simple to really be. Um, I mean, maybe that's changing now, but I did feel like that when I was studying in Norway that it wasn't like they were not as important kind of mm, right did you read uh, where the heart beats uh, no i haven't read that that's also about john cage it's a beautifully written book who wrote that who wrote it i would have to look it up so let's see kay larson it's called john cage Zen Buddhism and the Inner Life of Artists. That's the subtitle. Um, Loosening Orion's Belt, was that, uh, will there be uh, some kind of continuation of this type of production? Uh, Yes, for sure. I really, I'm kind of, I feel bad that there hasn't been one already. Uh, But there will be. I just need to not be in school anymore i think my my plan originally i i wanted to have released the second album this year but then that hasn't happened <laughs> but i'm working on songs i just kind of i have a, i'm having a hard time like making a structure around it uh going back to what we talked about before and then like i i had that saxophone concerto like it's hard to work on too many for me to work at like too many things at once so um but it's slowly it's like slowly taking form and I want it to be kind of more Americana country inspired maybe uh, <laughs> uh but it's like slowly taking form yeah um my voice has also changed a lot and there's some I kind of wanted to like settle into something um and the one thing that made Loosening Around Spelt, like, um, it was really fun to make. And But I, I was working really closely with a producer called Andreas Pagliskoer, who is in Copenhagen. And we were, like, doing, like, yeah, working in the studio every day for, I guess, like, one or two months or something, like, broken up, but still. And I, it was really helpful for me to have an, a very, not, yeah, a very kind of, structured and patient person by my side kind of um I don't have that now so it's gonna be it's a different 
process that I'm still kind of figuring out. But also I'm, I know a lot more like production stuff myself now. So I'm still figuring out how, how to, how to shape, shape it, I guess. But yeah, there is definitely will be a, a new, a, a sequel, I guess. Um, yeah. Where did you get that snail from? Uh... Uh, I was from like, well, uh, from, uh, I guess, Finn or like the, the, the equivalent of uh, online marketplace. <laughs> uh, is, is Craigslist American as well? Yeah, Craigslist. Yeah, yeah. Craig, but this was in Denmark, so it was Den Blue Avis. Uh, <laughs> okay. <it's called. laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, it was, it's still Francis, it's it's still, I mean, I guess it was after then, well, then it was my pet snail and then, but then I moved here and then my friend and Sophia adopted, um, adopted them. It's not, it's like a, snails are kind of non-binary and they, or they're like, they're both male and female, so. Hermaphrodites? Uh, yeah, I guess so. There's a lot of people that have or lot a lot, but there is a scene for for giant snails in Denmark, apparently, especially in Jutland. This was from Jutland. It actually the way we got it to Copenhagen was via like a GoMore, like a rideshare thing. Like we booked a seat in like a GoMore car. Uh, did it come um, in a in a box or a cage or an aquarium or a it came in a box. Okay. Well, it's a killer snail. Uh, well, yeah. not meant not meant literally, but uh, maybe uh, I don't know. It's just uh, yeah. such an exotic-looking one. Yeah, I mean, it's really a beautiful snail. I mean, yeah. I mean <laughs> yeah. um, they're not kill. They're mostly. I mean, I guess they eat some like fish food, but they're mostly vegetarian. They're not killer snails. No. <laughs> Well, I'm glad you shared it with us in the artwork for Loosening Orion's Belt. Uh, does the identity of a musician mean anything to you? Um, what do you, what can you, what do you mean, what do you mean with, with that? I'm uh, trying to rephrase the question I've asked everyone, which is, uh, what does it mean for you to be a musician? And then I got to the point where it just got so open. I have to kind of question the actual question. Like, I guess, yeah, I guess it does mean something to me. I tried... Like last year during COVID, I had I kind of tried stopping music for a bit and was like, I'm not going to be a musician or a composer anymore. Um, it lasted for like two weeks. Um, <laughs> but I think um, up until that point, I thought it was not important, but it, it is actually kind of important. Also just because now I've been like doing it for a long time and then it's kind of what I chose, I guess, at a point where... I think you could have chosen other things and but now it's like a feedback loop now it's this is it kind of um yeah I like being a music I like being a musician I like that there is kind of tangible like I like there's gear there's like instruments and gear and like tangible music stuff but I think for a long time I didn't really think about myself as a musician 
or on and off. And then composer, that's a very, that's a way more problematic term. <laughs> but yeah, that it's, yeah, it's important, but it's an important in a different, it's, it keeps being important in like different ways, I think. I think it can also be really hard to do, to spend so much time doing this like intangible thing that it's just, you can't touch it and you can't like, is it even real? Did it even happen? Kind of. Uh, yes. Um But that's not an identity thing. That's more just, but that's also like what I really like about it. So. Yeah. Yeah. Where can uh, people listen to the music you're making? Um, well, you can listen to my album, Losing Ryan's Pelt. Um, that's, I think, on um, everything streaming and Bandcamp, and there's a vinyl that you can buy. Um, and then I think my saxophone concerto is going to get recorded next year and hopefully released. Well, hopefully 2022 I will release the sequel to Losing Ryan's Pelt. We'll see. episodes some inspiration or useful tips or something you don't like and i'd love to hear about it so feel free to send me an email the address is in the show notes or comment on a post on instagram where i made an account for this podcast you can also make comments on my page on coffee just search for the musician's journey podcast on coffee.com and that's it for now